Welcome everyone on the air with the IWFFA. I'm your co-host Diane Burleson along with Dawn and it is January 20th. Dawn, how are you this evening? I am great and I'm super excited to learn from our guest tonight. Without much further ado, we're going to bring on our special guest after these few commercials. When we come back, you are going to be enlightened. Hi, this is Kelly McGillis. Join me for all the action on and off the field at the annual Kelly McGillis Classic in Key West. Welcome, everybody. We're here with Steve Katsakos, along with Diane. This is Dawn Mahan. And I am so excited to learn from Steve tonight. Steve, tell us how you started to learn about Afghanistan and what's happening there. Sure, Dawn, of course. So the majority of the work that I do is as a, a writer, actually a librettist, an opera librettist. And people are going to say, opera librettists, what do they do? Those were written in the 19th and 18th centuries. But no, that's not true. Opera is actually a very fluid cultural uh, opportunity in the 20th century. And I'm involved in writing adaptations and also original operas for contemporary audiences. And I had an opportunity about six, seven, maybe even eight years ago to write the libretto as a commission, as an adaptation of a book by the writer Khaled Hosseini. Now, Khaled Hosseini is probably best known for writing the book, The Kite Runner. It was an international bestseller made into a film. He's an Afghan-American writer. And he wrote a story of two boys who lived in Kabul. He followed that up with a second book called A Thousand Splendid Sons. And this is the story about two women born a generation apart who are married to the same man. He's a brutal man. And the, the book takes place over the course of 40 years. But the book is encircled by the politics of Afghanistan from the early 1970s when it was a monarchy up until the American invasion in 2002. So it's quite sweeping. It's quite grand in its, in its story. And I had to try to find the, let's say, the story within that because, you know, political stories, conflict, it, that's not opera. Opera is about exalted emotion and exalted feelings. But I had some pretty strong characters to write for. I, first of all, I had two women who one was age uh, 15 when she was married off to a 40-year-old man. And then when he's 65, he takes a second wife who's 14. How's that? And at first, these women, they hate each other. They have a horrible relationship. The older wife feels that the younger woman is trying to push her out because she's younger and more beautiful. The younger woman is an enlightened woman. She grew up in Kabul in, in a house, a secular house. Uh, her father and mother were both educated. She was educated. But the beauty of the story is it's really a story about how these two women grow to become like mother and daughter. <laughs> and especially in their hatred for their husband, Rashid, who's, who's brutal and who uses the opportunity of the emergence of the Taliban and Sharia law as a way of essentially subjugating them. And so that is the work that I had to do is I had to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, what, what the idea was behind this group, this essentially, the Taliban are basically gangsters, all right? I mean, how else can I say that in terms, you know, America, American, you know, culture understands the mafia, right? They love mafia movies. They love gangster movies. I That's do. 
Yeah, that's what the, <laughs> Tal the Taliban are like organized crime selling opium. You know, they're they're a narco terrorist state. Well, um, and with the religion, you know, as the excuse, right? Well, of course, it's the excuse. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, but, you know, they they the Taliban are one of many, many factions, many, many tribes that come out of a country which is called Afghanistan, but essentially really isn't a country. You know, they call it the graveyard of empires. And the reason is that since the time of Alexander the Great, I mean, all the, all the great civilizations have tried to conquer Afghanistan. And by the way, just to be clear, I'm not an historian. I am not an historian and I am not an expert on the history of Afghanistan, especially. I'm a writer, but I had, as with many of my projects, I need to dig down and drill down deep and do research. So my observations and my conclusions are drawn, you know, from that lens, if you will. Um, so, but, you know, but Steve, Steve, you're doing great. This is so oh, okay. interesting. So the issue is that Afghanistan really shouldn't be a country. In many ways, the United States shouldn't be the United States. You know, you see, right, how factionalized and tribal Americans are. I mean, now, of course, politically mm -hmm. more than ever. But you have different ethnic groups in Afghanistan. You have the Pashtun, you have the Tajik, you have the Hazat, you have the Turkmens, uh, you have all these different, and each of these groups, they pay homage, you know, they, they have a tribal leader. When they say tribal, you know, you just think about these groups of people and they're paying their respects, their, their allegiance, their loyalty to someone who's the head of their ethnic tribe. So the idea of a central government to them, it's just totally it's, foreign. <laughs> it's not only is it foreign, it's anachronistic. It's not part of their culture ever or in their history. They wait, excuse me, Steve. In other words, they've always been tribal. They've never had a government. Well, they did have a monarchy. So they had a monarchy. And okay. When they had a monarchy, they had a king. But during times when they did have a monarchy, there still were lots of conflicts. Because again, regardless of whether they were, and, and by the way, so the, the majority of those that live in Afghanistan are Islamic. You know, they're, this is their faith. Mm -hmm. And there are two very distinct forms of Islam. They're called Sunni and they're called Shia. And you've probably heard that because you'd say, well, why are these countries that are Islamic why are they so against each other? Well, even though they're Islamic and they're devoutly Islamic, they believe totally different things. I couldn't tell you exactly what the difference between Shia Muslims are and, and Sunni Muslims are, but it's like when people say, well, why are Protestants and Catholics fighting in, in Northern Ireland, right? They're all Christians, right? Why should they be fighting? But, you know, religion has a way of dividing people. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they pick and they choose and they certainly they cherry pick from documents. I mean, in this case, the Taliban, who is an extremely fundamental, fundamental religious fundamental group, they truly believe that the chasteness and dignity of women must be sacrosanct. So this is kind of a fundamental vision of their Islamic society. It's patriarchal. And because of that, women specifically should not have the same rights as men. And one of them is the idea of covering up. 
that no man should even see what a woman looks like. Now, I see, Diane, that you've worked with women who have been Islamic and they wear the headscarf, right? They wear a hijab to do that. I, I mean, I've seen that and women do that all the time. But the Taliban want women to be covered up completely. And if you've seen these women in burqas, right, where they can hardly see, they basically they're right. covered from head to toe, right? They have a, they have a kind of a, um, a rectangular piece of the burqa which is meshed that they can see in, but you know, they don't even have peripheral vision. How's that? You try putting on a burqa and you see like what you can't see, which is most of the world. You can right. only see what was in front of you. Interestingly, I did put a burqa on because the writer Hosseini Khaled said that whenever the women appear outdoors, they need to wear the burqa. Now that's problematic in an opera, don't you think so? It's like number one. <laughs> First of all, how do you recognize the characters, right? Right. Then, how do you hear them sing? So um, I made a decision with my colleague, who's the composer, Sheila Silver, and we decided that we would set, I'm going to say 80% of the opera is set indoors. And because it's set indoors, they don't have to wear the burqa. So, okay. Yeah. So there are two scenes and one incredible scene that's an escape attempt at a bus station. And we're hoping that when the when the lights come up on this sea of women, this SEA of women, all wearing the same blue burqa, all being covered with Taliban guards and soldiers, you know, all standing guard, that that there'll be really audible gasps because of the anonymity of the whole thing. You like like where are our heroines? Where are our heroines? The thing I love about this mm -hmm. book and this and this opera is it has two Islamic heroines. You don't really have that in opera. You don't really have that in literature, certainly not in Western literature. So this, of course, you know, got me thinking about the way that Afghan society, you know, operates. And the United States has been in, you know, Afghanistan for almost 20 years. So, you know, we know it's probably the longest conflict in its history, with the possible exception of Vietnam. But, you know, academics always argue about you know, dates, right? They're always about dates. <laughs> like, well, actually this happened on this date, but so it was earlier than this. But the fact is that we spent more money. This country spent more money on Afghanistan than on rebuilding Europe after World War II. But little progress was made, you know? And part of it is because of where Afghanistan is located. It is it's landlocked, right? So it's on, the, it's on a big trade route between Central Asia and India and Iran. And so it's always been involved in these, like, you know, these large empires for the Roman Empire, you know, I said the Greek Empire. And then later on, of course, the British Empire always tried to like get in there and take over it because they could then have a direct route from Western Asia right through to India, like right through where the trade spices are, where where products and goods, you know, when you control trade routes, you control commerce and economy, then you're, you're powerful. So the way that Afghanistan was built, like they don't have towns, they have fortresses. And the fortresses are built around different ethnic groups and, and tribes. So this is the mentality. This is the, this is the culture. Um, of so course, Steve, were you, were you able to get over there at all? No, I've never been to Afghanistan. My okay. my view of Afghanistan is through YouTube. Isn't YouTube a wonderful thing? Wow, that's amazing. And I had no idea that you were going to talk about, you know, the Kite Runner a book. So oh, like very in the very beginning you mentioned, you know, the author wrote Kite Runner. I read 
kite runner a long time ago and it still haunts me there's this there's a scene i won't talk about right that still haunts me in kite runner and i mean it was a fascinating book it was an i feel like it's one of those books that everybody should read but there are certain parts of it that no one should have to read but if it's and i know that it was fiction but it, fe- it felt oh. to me that it was very much based on reality. And how did you feel about that when you read those two books? Well, of course, I absolutely empathized. I mean, it opened up my eyes. It opened up a world. You know, the, 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 one of the things about American popular culture is we tend to see things through the lens of our own experiences. It's, what, what's, it's what's called ethnocentrism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we see... Um, someone who isn't us or someone who's different from us um, as being outside the mainstream and something that we should be afraid of. You know, America, to some extent, is a xenophobic country. We're afraid of the foreigners. We're afraid of foreign influence. And our foreign policy as the U.S. government, you know, especially in the 20th century, um, it's it's pivoted. It's gone back and forth between those governments that have wanted to sort of like like stay out, stay out of affairs, and ones that believe the United States should be leading the way, should be leading the world. And one of those ideas was that you know let's do it in Afghanistan, right? I mean, listen, the the idea of going to Afghanistan was because that is where. Osama bin Laden was. And Osama bin Laden was there because of the Pakistan, the Pakistans were pretending to be the allies of the United States. I mean, that's the reality. They're they're Pashtun, the Taliban are Pashtun. This is an ethnic group. And there's a part of Pakistan, the Western part that is now part of Pakistan that actually was part of Afghanistan once before. So it's like the same people that are living there. It's like if you took the state of New Jersey, right? And you cut it in half, right? And then you said it's like South New Jersey and North New Jersey, the people are still, you know, they're gonna consider themselves people who went to the Jersey shore, right? went to Atlantic City. Yeah, um, except on the in the South that you see more Philly fans and, and the North <laughs> you see more New York fans, but New that's York a whole other right. topic. So sure. so Steve, yeah. you know, so we we are very concerned about the women there who are football players. Are there are, you know, International Women's Flag Football Association, you know, sisters, right? And so in your view, having you know, looked into this, studied this, really immersed yourself in all of this. What do you think is happening for them right now? I think everyone's doing what's to their advantage so they can see what they can get away with. And there's lots of, lots of hypocrisy going around. I mean, the Taliban are saying one thing, but they really, they don't really, they don't mean it. You know, they just don't mean it. I mean, they truly believe in a patriarchal society. All of the sort of, all of the advantages that women have gained since 2002, I just am very um, skeptical that they will get them back. I mean, Roya Sadat, um, who is my colleague, Roya is an award-winning Afghan filmmaker. She grew up during this, when the Soviets, when the Soviets, remember when the Soviet Union like dominated Afghanistan and then finally they got their ass kicked out. And when they got kicked out, what happened? There was chaos because all of the tribe, all the tribal leaders, right? They emerged, the warlords, they were called the warlords, and they fought against each other. Well, guess who won? It's the Pashtuns that won. It's the Taliban. They're the ones that won. So Roya grew up in a more of an enlightened, by the way, so one of the things the Soviets actually did for Afghanistan is they really believed in the education and the enlightenment of women. 
that was really a very positive thing for them. They wow. believe that women should be educated and be doctors and attorneys and accountants and, you know, and, and work in civil service. So they, you know, they trained women, they educated women. This is one of the, the things that happened. But these fundamentalist ideas, these fundamentalist religious ideas came up, of course, the Soviet Union was considered to be a godless state. So when they, when they finally were, were kicked out, when they were forced out, you know, violently through terrorist acts, the, uh, the warlords fought among themselves. So Roya basically couldn't go to school anymore. She and her sisters had oh, they wow. couldn't leave their house. And if they left their house, they had to be accompanied by a man. So she being a, you know, someone who wanted to educate herself became a self-didact. So she learned, she educated herself and her sisters through reading books. They were able to get books and they were reading. And she taught herself filmmaking through reading books. And once she had the wow. opportunity, once, once the U.S. came and Kabul, you know, she, she lived in Herat, by the way. Herat is in the western part of Afghanistan. It's very close to the Iranian border. It is a different ethnic group. It's a different sort of enlightened society. It's closer to the, to the Persian society, which was a very a society with great art and culture. You don't really find a lot. Of, you certainly don't find art and culture and music in fundamentalist countries. You just don't find them. I mean, what are one of the first right. things that, that the Taliban did? They destroyed those incredible Buddhas, those, those statue, those Buddhas. Oh. Of, um, they, they blew them up. They destroyed them. They destroyed artwork. They destroyed paintings. They, they, they blew up cinemas. They destroyed theaters and concert hall. This is what they did. Um, I know Afghan. I know Afghanistan is famous for their rugs also. Absolutely. But, but, but that's okay. That's okay. okay. You can oh, that's okay. Because yeah. men create them, or why is it well, okay? It's it's okay because it brings an income. Ah, okay. into the society. Yeah. So, you know, Steve, uh, I, Steve, I wanted to ask you though. Before the U.S. came into Afghanistan, who was ruling? Was it the Taliban? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. right. And they so, took over. They took over because Soviet Union was kicked out, and they were the strongest right. group. Well, wow. but here's something that I, I I really feel horrible for the Afghan women because, you know, it seems like they go in and out, in and out. They get the opportunity to be thriving human beings, professionals, and then they are pushed down. Whether it's from the Taliban, then the U.S. comes in. They get they have the programs for the women. They get to be professionals again. And now uh, and now we are back again. They're being suppressed again. That must be horrible for these for the women. Well, look, the country is the country is on meltdown. You know, yeah. first of all, it's a cash economy. It's a cash economy. Oh. And it's starved of cash. So you have right hunger, rampant hunger, malnutrition. There's a lack of goods, services. You know, the, the largest employer in Afghanistan was the government, the central government, right? There is no central mm -hmm. government. The Taliban don't know how to rule, you know, and now the U.S. is, of course, cut off. They've frozen assets. That's what the United States does, you know, and I understand why they do it. They want to punish. They want to punish regimes that are objectionable here. You know, you're, you're, you're yeah, go ahead. Well, 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 Steve, why did the U.S. make such a deal with the Taliban? If they're going to depart, why wouldn't they put another group to take over? 
Why the Taliban? Why would we leave the Taliban ruling Afghanistan? Well, I certainly don't know, but I tell you, all the pundits talk about that on MSNBC and on CNN okay. all the time. I mean, certainly people have more experience about that than than I do. I, I don't know. It's it's the question of the year, isn't it? Right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, the current president, President Biden, basically just honored what the agreement you know, was. But was there a, a plan? I mean, you have people on both sides basically saying, you know, there, there was a plan and others saying there was no plan. And even others yeah. saying you couldn't have a plan, you know. Well, so, that's that's right. yeah, I know when Trump was in office, he made that deal. And just yeah. as you said, Biden uh, went with it. And I know, too, when we left Vietnam, it was a mess. And uh, when we left Afghanistan, it's a mess. But, you know, what's interesting is these countries that are way different than our culture. And it's hard for that reason. I think it's, it's good that we're talking about this country, Afghanistan, because a lot of Western countries really, it's impossible for them to understand what's going on. Sabria, one of the Afghan women in India, 2018, when I was there, right. we shared we right. shared the room. And it so happened she has 16 brothers and sisters. And I says, well, wow, how come wow. so many? Wow. And it's be, that's but that's traditional because the parents want their children to take care of them. They have no social security. They depend on their parents. However, the recent years, the economy is so bad that Afghans cannot afford 16 children. So now they're just starting to have two children. And I think about that, a culture that has survived for over a thousand years, having many children for that reason. And all of a sudden, the last 30 years, they have two children because of money. Money is so powerful. That's my point. How, well, how money, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it really, yeah. You have, you have, parents selling their daughters now young <gasps> you have them selling yeah i mean that's oh my the god they sell yeah they'll sell their children to um, oh my god old, yeah to older men but you know the thing you don and and diane is that you know the oppression of women always was part of the culture in afghanistan even before the u.s was involved you can't so you really right. can't For, blame forever right. and ever. I mean, the tribal. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wow. Right. Just, I yeah. mean, and not only just of women, like majority Muslims, how they treat the the Muslim minorities, like the Hazara or the you know the Shia versus the Sunni. You know, it's always about like who's on top, and you know, and who who's who's got the power. Now, who def- generally always has the power? Well, men, of course. Yeah. Men have the power yeah. and those that can control the commerce and economy, you know, the wealthy. So, so Roya, by the way, so one of the things that's unique about her is, so she wanted to tell these stories. So basically she made a number of films that were, you know, to a large extent, giving the middle finger, flipping the middle finger, if you will, you know, at, uh-huh. at, at the culture and at the society. And one of the films she made is called A Letter to the President is about and this, you know, this takes place while the, you know, while the United States, you know, while there was a central government in Afghanistan just a few years ago, is about a police chief, a woman, a woman who's the police chief in a provincial town. And she's called to investigate a crime. It's an honor crime. It's the murder oh. of a woman. 
and she wants to investigate it. And she's getting, she gets a lot of pressure from the tribal leader not to investigate it, basically to butt out. So mm. um, Roy, wow. and it, um, yeah, it's, it's terrific. And it was Afghanistan's entry to the Oscars for the, for the best foreign, foreign film for 2018. That's the film that we're going to screen. But she was also, you know, so she's going to be directing the, the opera, which, which has its premiere at the Seattle Opera next February, February 2023. She's the stage director. And she was in the United States. She was actually editing a film. Now, talk about irony. She was making a documentary about the peace process. The Taliban and the Afghan government and the coalition forces and the US were all part of a peace process of talks. And the Afghan government had four women representing the government. So Roya and her film crew followed these women around, whether they were in Berlin or they were in Doha, you know, or they were in Qatar and filmed them and filmed, you know, as, as participating and was in Washington, D.C., editing this documentary, which is called The Sharp Edge of Peace, when mm. the troops started to withdraw in, in, in August. And then when she was in Seattle talking to the, to the uh, general director and the artistic directors in the Seattle Opera, that's when the, she learned that the Taliban had marched into Kabul, which is wow. where she has a house where her mother and her sister and brother was, her film company, all of her equipment. So, you know, she basically, now she has asylum in this country, of course, with her, her husband and children were here. But when she was telling us about this, it was like those, all of those Jewish families that had to flee Germany, you know, or yeah. Poland or, or wherever they were with nothing, they couldn't take anything. They just had to like get out as quickly as they could with whatever they could carry. It's the same story over and over. I mean, you saw the, the footage of the people trying to flee, trying to get out, right? Yeah. The desperation. Yeah. yeah. You know, our, our flag football women were there at the gates of Kabul yeah. uh, those last days in August trying to get out. And they knew the bomb went off that one day and they were deciding if they were going to tr- right. attempt again the following day. And sure enough, yeah, they were, they were going to risk their lives to get out. What a horrible situation for women. Oh my God. So Afghanistan, I had no idea, had such a history. Steve, do you know any other countries that are that's like Afghanistan, the way they treat women? Absolutely. I mean, just look, go to the map. <laughs> look at the oh, map. Oh no! Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, there are many, wow. many countries okay. in, the, in the Mideast and certainly in Asia, they were generally yeah. the countries that are not what we would call democratic countries, democracy, yeah. or where people have a vote, and especially women, you know, having the vote. I mean, you know, for instance, you do have very, very rich countries, like, for instance, Saudi Arabia, right, and Qatar, you know, they, they have these events, they, they hold these international events to showcase their culture, but at the same time, you know, they, they also oppress women. Do you have any women from, from Saudi Arabia in flag football? No. From no. Iran? From Iran? No, there was. No, no, no. Yeah. From uh, Pakistan. We have Pakistan Women's Flag Football League. Yeah. And Pakistan, we have India. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and India Women's Flag Football. India, I think, because of the economy, right? They're more... Sure. 
Uh, yeah. Women uh, attend university. They're, well, they're India is a democracy. No, India is a democracy. India is a de facto democracy. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. People, people, the citizens of India have the right to vote and do vote. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'll tell you, in India, marriage is very, very important. If yep. a woman yep. doesn't marry a man uh, by the age of like 28, so they have their interesting parts of their society. But you, you know what, then? But now, yep. now that you shared this, Steve, I got to tell you. So when I'm in India, I got to tell you, those Indian women, the, the women from Afghanistan, the temperature was 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. They yep. had to wear long sleeves, long yep. pants. They had to cover their heads. If I took a photo, they had to have their the head the hijab. on. Yeah. Hijab, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I mean, otherwise, I wasn't head. allowed to take any photos. But oh. you know what? They played against the Indian women in a flag football game. And they just they just saw that football for the first time. And they had 10 wow. days of training. And there they were on the field competing against India. India, who played five on five for two years prior. I'm telling you, now I'm listening to their history. I, I cannot, they were amazing women. They played phenomenal. They were strong. And there was, Dawn, you'll, you'll appreciate this. It was like two minutes left of the game. We were down two touchdowns, which was not bad. We were down two touchdowns and they were into it. They, they, they wanted to win the game still. They never gave up. For their country, I think, they had this pride. I sensed it. Maybe maybe I was wrong. I mean, why would anybody want to have pride for a country that teach them, treats them the way they're, they're treated? What do you think, Steve? What do you think the women, well, you think they have national pride? I don't know if they have national pride. They might have a, essentially a, a tribal pride or pride in their ethnicity. But yeah. Remember, it's, there, it's inculcation. So this is just the continuation of, of culture. It's, it's, it's really hard to change. And also remember, there are many, many, many women who are fine with living this way. Mm. Um, there are women who wear the burqa and say it makes them feel safe. It makes mm. them feel protected. So again, we tend as we do, to look at things through the eyes of our own, our own eyes and our own experience. But yeah. part of it is there's a reason why this, you know, the, these cultural traditions have, have lasted. And, and, you know, I mean, we have, we have similar things in this country. We have extreme religious groups. We have mm. Hasidic Jews that live, you know, separately and apart and, and, and act a certain way. We mm -hmm. have evangelical groups in this mm -hmm. country that do, and they're strict interpretations of the Bible. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not disparaging, you know, either of these groups at all. I'm just saying that in America too, we also have people who adhere to dogma or a strict way or a strict way of life and living. And that's mm -hmm. what they've learned and that's what they believe. And one of the things that for women, certainly in Afghanistan, is that there's a big difference between the women that live in the cities and the women that live in the rural areas. In fact, that's where the Taliban mostly had their control, you know, in the, in the real rural areas, in the areas that were like a thousand years ago. You know, and some people say it's medieval. Well, it is medieval. It is. And if you're right. the very first movie that Roya made called Three Dots, um, when I watched it, I was like, this, how could this be? Like, you know, the, uh, the, well, I guess it was supposed to be like the 19, um, 
I think the 1990s or so. And I was like, this could easily be the 1590s. I mean, they were, these people were living on, in huts on dirt floors with a baking bread on a tander, like on, um, with stones, you know, and flat stones. And I mean, just really, you wouldn't, you would, if you looked at two photos, if they, if you could have a photograph from the 16th century and look at it again, something from the 20th century, you'd say, I don't see any difference. <laughs> wow. So the, on Instagram, the then and now would be like, oh, well, one would be sure. black and white and one would be in color and that would be it. That would be the difference. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what one of the things that I would like as, a, as an artist, as a writer, you know, as a storyteller, um, and also I also think art can really be healing. It can tra be transformative and healing is for people to understand that we're all the same, you know? We're basically all the same people inside. We all have the same thoughts, the same desires, the same wants. We all want to be loved and we want to love, you know? We want to eat, we want to breathe, we want happiness. And we're all the same on the planet, but there are forces that have always been in our society that want to subjugate what the natural and normal desires of human beings are. And, you know, that's, that's how I Steve, see it. A story Steve, like yeah. Steve, do they have, uh, I guess, uh, homosexuality, gay men, lesbians? What do you, do you know anything about uh, sexuality? There's, there are, there are lesbians and gay men everywhere. I mean, how, how could there not be? It's part of the human condition. I mean, it's like, it's like, right. The men are the ones who are in public more involved with the ongoings in their country. Oh, you'd be. I mean, I think if you were caught in a homosexual act, it would you'd be st you'd be stoned to death. I mean, it's okay, that's that's what I was. Yeah, oh, stoned to I death. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, mean you know, did you? I, I saw a movie once, and I didn't realize stoning to death. They dig a hole, and okay. only the torso, you know, the upper part of the body is showing, and then everybody's throwing stones until the person dies. Oh, yeah. it's gruesome. Yeah, it is. You know so, so on a happier topic, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about your filming, Steve. So yeah. tell us more about that. And I'm sure okay. you must be getting excited, right? Well, she's going to come. So we're going to screen this film now. It's actually, you know, it's not a rom-com. <laughs> it's definitely, you know, it's a, it's a very gripping film. It's a police procedural, but it actually demonstrates the plight of women in modern Kabul society. So Roy is going to come and screen. You know, she thinks it's really important to talk about Afghanistan and for people to understand what's going on in Afghanistan. She's been very instrumental in trying to get as many actors and writers and designers and artists and people out. You know, she's been working really tirelessly to try to do that. And she's been successful somewhat. And she doesn't want, you know, this is her country. She's making a film uh, in, a, in a couple of months with a Spanish production company. And she wanted to film it in Afghanistan. She can't film it there. She's going to have to film it in probably in Tajikistan or Turkmenistan or, you know, an another place that, that looks like Afghanistan because she, she can't go back to her country right now. So she wants to talk about this and we'll, and we'll talk about the opera. But she's got a great sense of humor <laughs> and she's a champion. She's a magnificent person. You know, she was named by the BBC as one of the most inspiring, 100 inspiring women in the world for 2021. And, wow. Um, and, she's and, coming, yeah, and she's coming. She's coming here to, to Key West. Yeah, beautiful. so she'll be at the studios of Key West screening this film 
on the 1st of February, on Tuesday, the 1st of February at 5.30. And then, you know, I'm going to have a moderated discussion with her about the film, but also about the ongoing situation and, and the changing situation. I mean, I just read the other day that the United States and its allies were really reluctant to do anything, but now we've promised 308 million in humanitarian aid, all right? But you know what happens with humanitarian aid when it goes to a totalitarian regime, right? I mean, like what happened when we sent money and supplies to Haiti, right? Did the people yeah. get it? Did the people no. get it? No, no, of course not, all right? No. That happens all the time. So. I mean, yeah, hopefully, they, hopefully there's a plan, you know, to and, help avoid that. Right. And the relief agencies will make sure that it gets to the people who need it the most and, you know, just won't be sucked up by those that are in power. But, you know, this is this is the history of the world. You know, those who are in power find a way to stay in power, find a way to remain in power. So Dawn, Steve got in contact with me because he heard about our evacuation for the flag football sure. uh, Afghan women. And if they were, there was a long shot. There was a chance that these women would be in Key West by the end of January. Can you imagine if they were able to attend the screening and see this yeah. great movie. I know, and that and that was my whole my idea, Diane, was actually to actually invite them all to be here and say, you know, and you, and to say, look at these women that we were able to, you know, to get out, and they're here, and they're here in the Kelly McGillis, you know, you know, flag football international competition here in our hometown, Key West, right? And yeah. here's what we have: we we have such a unique island that we can amalgamate like the highest form of let's say sports and leadership empowerment of women along with arts and culture. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. What a great combination. Well, yeah. well, Steve, I can't believe all the research that you did for this. You definitely are professional. You're brilliant. I don't know about and brilliant. Um, cool. I, I was fortunate to have another conversation with you earlier and we were going off tangent and the way the world operates. And it was just so fascinating. I just have more compassion and empathy for our Afghan flag football women, all the women, all the, all the Afghans. And you know, the men, and I can imagine there's men too in Afghanistan who must feel horrible because they have to play uh, such a dominant role. And if they're compassionate men to have to act in this manner, I, I would imagine too, oh, but- yes, of course there are, there are, there are, you know, huge populations of men who are enlightened and illuminated. And they're also are religious, they're religious men, but they don't subscribe to a fundamentalist view of the Quran. I mean, the screenplay to A Letter to the President was written by Roy's husband, Aziz Deldar, who, is an actor in the film and who taught, you know, theater and acting at Kabul University. I mean, there, I mean, yes, there's, you know, there are, you know, hundreds of thousands. And so many of them worked for the United States government at great risk to themselves. So yeah. yes, this is not, this is not just, you know, there are, there are, you know, as I said, hundreds of thousands of men in these societies that that support leadership for women, leadership of women leadership yeah. by women, you know, education and culture and development of skills in women. I know one of the one of the objectives I know of the flag football, it's not just to play the sport, but it's also to build confidence, right? And to build confidence and leaders, and leaders and leaders. Of course. The women were co were coaching and officiating girls and other women. 
So they really uh, lived up to the purpose there of being in control of the sport. They were. And why wouldn't men want to support that? Of course they do. Of course they do. And want to support the education, the elevation, the rising of women in the society because they don't believe things that fundamentalist groups believe. So um, it's not it's not all men. Of course not. It, it, you know, just like we can't make generalizations about you know about anything. Well, so again, so with that, you know, um, I I yeah. feel like we should just recap a little bit and say thank you so much, Steve for joining us for this conversation. I learned so, so much from you. And I too, uh, like Diane, have so much more compassion and understanding after speaking with you today. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and your time and everything, you know, your stories and everything you've shared with us tonight. I just want to, you know, give you a chance to recap what's happening next in Key West so you can invite people that want to join the screening with you. Perfect, right. So again, with the with the caveat that I am not an historian. <laughs> so <laughs> if you watch the historians, you have to watch MSNBC or you know CNN or even Fox News, then they have all the pundits that come on and know a lot more and have political science and history degrees. My understanding of the culture and my understanding of what's happening is through the lens of adapting Khaled Hosseini's novel, A Thousand Splendid Sons. So on February the 1st, which is a Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., we are screening in the Helmerich Theater at the studios of Key West. It's at 533 Eaton Street. The film, A Letter to the President, which Roya Sadat produced and directed through her film company, the first film company by a woman created by a woman in Afghanistan, right after the Americans liberated Kabul and, and Afghanistan. And it was the 2018 Afghan entry into the best foreign film category for the, for the Oscars. And she's gonna, we're gonna screen the film and then have a conversation with Roya about the evolving situation in Afghanistan and get her take on what she thinks can happen, must happen, will happen. But she's somebody that I think is magnificent and very hopeful and also believes that you do not need weapons, you need words and that you can mm -hmm. change with words and not with weapons. And mm. so I hope that people will come and watch the film and, and we'll have a Q&A session afterward about that as well. So that's, that's wonderful. That's, I'm, I'm going for sure. And uh, what a brave woman she is indeed. And yeah. Steve, I'm so very grateful for you reaching out to us and for uh, enlightening us here. And I think you're brilliant and for your work oh, also. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. And shout out to Gwen Filosa as well, because she's the one that actually connected us. So Okay. Yeah. Kudos to Gwen Filosa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Have you registered for the next IWFFA tournament? It's easy. It's fun. It's flag football. We welcome all ages and levels of team play from highly competitive, competitive, social, beginners, juniors, and girls. And we want to see you and your team on the field at the next IWFFA tournament. We offer tournaments throughout the year and around the world. Just go to our International Women's Flag Football Association's website. Experience the excitement and play IWFFA, female flag football from all over the world at its best.
See us on YouTube, our website, and email IWFFA at IWFFA.com today to join. See you on the field. And welcome back. You are on the air with the IWFFA. And wow, what did you think about uh, what Steve shared with us this evening? I am so excited about learning from him. I had no idea about a whole lot of that. And what's even more exciting is that we're having Afghani royalty, right, come to Key West, right? Like this lady is amazing. What he said, you know, top 100 in the world, she's been rated, right? And, you know, award-winning and everything. So, and she just sounds like an amazing person. So, you know, not only did he talk about you know, Afghanistan and help me understand a lot more about that and what might be happening, you know, for the women uh, that are sisters in, in football and, you know, but also, wow, what an opportunity if anybody's in Key West for this filming, you know, I would, you would have to come, you would have to do it right after yeah. listening to him. Especially that we get to meet Miss Roya and in person and questions and answers. So I would say Steve is on the top as far as our guests on the podcast, as far as like really smart and very interesting. Do you remember any other interviews that were really great? Well, not with me because I'm new as your co-host. So <laughs> it's a whole different experience getting to hear it, you know, oh, behind oh my the God, scenes oh my here. God. Dawn, that reminds me, listen, you know, my girls, you know, I coach girls as young as like eight years old. So just, just this past weekend, I got this one little girl, her name is Morgan, Big Pine Girls Team. And she comes up to me and she says, coach, coach, I love you. I love you. She says, you're the best coach I ever had. Oh, Morgan, how sweet of you. And then I thought, and I says, well, Morgan, how many coaches have you had? Well, you're the first one. <laughs> so anyway, Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, no. And he was a doll, wasn't he? Um, just, just a lovely man. So yeah. thanks for, you know, bringing him on and thanks to Gwen for her connection. Right. So that's all awesome. right. Gwen yeah. Pelosa, by the way, she's a reporter for the Miami Herald newspaper. She's also going to be our MC at the Kelly McGillis Classic twice. She'll be the hostess during the registration. She's also a comedian. Pretty good. Pretty good comedian. And she's also going to give out the awards for the event. So Gwen is a very talented woman and, and lucky indeed. We're going to wrap up on the air, but I wanted to give a summary of the flag football news. This is information we email everyone first of the month, and we got the Kelly McGillis Classic coming up. That is just a few days away. It starts on January 24th till the 31st. We've got a lot of international teams. I'm really happy. We've got Morocco. We've got Jamaica. We've got Honduras. And few players from Spain. Unfortunately, no Pakistan, no India. But it's a full week of events. Anyone interested to participate, go on to our website, iwffa.com. Click on Kelly McGillis Classic Itinerary. Take a look. It's really wild. You'll come and have a great time. You could sign up for the loose women's team. That roster is always open. Dawn, were you ever a loose woman or were you, were you always a big pine woman? No, only big pine for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So too bad. Cause once a loose woman, always a loose woman. So we've got <laughs> February 26th. We've got friendship games in Pakistan. We've got also 
the New Orleans tournament tournament coming up March 26th to the 27th. Those events you can find also on the website. Everything's on the website under list of tournaments. We have special flag football festival in El Salvador, something very different to empower the female spirit and to educate every position in flag football. It's going to be the Flag Football Festival in El Salvador. That's April 10th to the 17th. We would love for the women to come. You bring your sleeping bag, your tents. They feed you. You'll be busy interacting with all these women from other countries. What a wonderful experience. That was based off of the Michigan Women's Music Fest. Did you and I talk about the Michigan Women's Fest? We did. We did. And and your dream to have this event in El Salvador. So I'm so excited for you that, you know, your dream is coming true. Yep. So also we had an article by head coach Allison Wood. Let's talk flag football. There she discusses how to beat women to woman defense. Everyone who's been following head coach Allison knows that She knows what she's talking about. She's got really good stuff for female flag football players. Our game is different than when the men play. It's totally different from their style. And so it's specific for the females. I want to make a correction. You know, I made a boo-boo on the flag football news. We ran an article that was written a while ago by Patricia Gorky. When women gathered together and build unity. And I had mixed up names with our previous philosopher, Miss Raina, who was the co-host with me just before you, Dawn. And so Miss Raina's article was about connection. And everyone knows who's following Miss Raina. She's a very spiritual woman. And that was a fantastic article. So I'm apologize for that mistake. And now I cleared it up. And that's it. Just that tournament coming up. We're going to have our ninth world challenge game at the Kelly McGill after following the Kelly McGillis classic. That's going to be the U.S. All-Stars versus the international All-Stars just a few days away. I can't wait. And Dawn, you're coming to the event, aren't you? You know, I want to be there. I will be in Hawaii seeing family that I haven't seen in two years, God willing. Oh my so, gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So okay. my, my, my niece turns two. she was born on um, January 20th, 2020. So she turns, tw- she turns two on January 20th, 2022. And I am going to be there even though she's <laughs> <laughs> like, so as long as Hawaii doesn't shut down, you know, I am going to be there. So I am so, so sorry. I'm not going to make the tournament, but you know, I will be following you guys online. So that'll okay. be fun. Okay. Yeah. We're going to stream games. We're going to have radio interviews and now February on the air with the IWFFA. You're going to hear a lot from the women from United States and other countries who participated in the Kelly McGillis Classic. So that's a heads up as to what we're going to have for next month's radio show. And I just want to thank you, Dawn, very much for joining us as well, being our co-host. IWFFA is looking for a philosopher. So if there's a feminist out there, we're looking for a feminist this time. We had a spiritual woman, an archaeologist. We had a political woman. Now we're looking for a feminist. Interesting. So So how did you choose that? How did you choose that as the next philosopher point of view? Well, you know, we want a strong woman, very opinionated. We want a, what makes a philosopher? She is supposed to think of thought provoking topics, ideas for our flag football women. So when they read their article in the flag football news each month, 
they're going to think, hmm, interesting, just something different. So if you're a feminist out there and you'd like to be our philosopher, just contact the IWFFA. And what else can I say, Dawn? What would you like to say? I think I've said what I'd like to say. I'd like to, I wish everybody, listen, distance yourself, get your vaccination and stay safe. You know, we're not sure for our Kelly McGillis classic, if we're going to have to wear masks, that's up to the CDC. But last year we did play games. We, everyone had to play, wear masks. It's nice not to wear masks. You know, I wish everybody would get vaccinated. What would you like to share Dawn before we leave? Well, I just want to say that I had a great time playing in the tournament last year, even though it was a mini tournament, just a local tournament. Uh, it was my first Kelly McGillis classic tournament and it was the mini version. So I can't imagine how amazing it will be to have, you know, the larger audience of women there. And I'm looking forward to next year. So if, if you, you know, go and, and you're there, please take pictures and, you know, tag IWFFA so we can find them because it's going to be a beautiful time in Key West. January is an awesome time in Key West. And if you're, you know, if you're alone and you don't have a team, don't worry, come on down because last year, the team that banded together because they they didn't have a team they're called the loose women and they had an amazing time and they did great so they took you know, the championship yeah they took the championship and they were amazing <laughs> and they were so cute when they talked about it they were like well you know we didn't really know what was going to happen and we are all ages and we're from all over and they did it so you never know what's going to happen so come on down to key west it's one of the most beautiful places we think on the planet. And you know, you're going to have a good time. 30 teams for the 30th, by the way. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's 30 great. teams for that's, the 30th. Yeah, that's oh, that was wonderful. Well, listen, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next month on the air with the IWFFA.